Today we meet in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to verse 20. We are still talking about the coming of Christ as a working hope. The believers at Thessalonica became something of a model church in Paul's estimation by embracing the gospel with unreserved commitment and sincerity. That record is here in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13, but also it was alluded to in chapter 1 verse 8 and verse 9. We can gain some idea what a model church looks like by actually looking at the New Testament's many glimpses of the early church, worshipping the Lord, relating to one another, and effectively reaching out to its surrounding culture with the gospel, particularly when you reflect on the church in Acts chapter 2. Now it is interesting that the first believers apparently did not rely on hired staff to carry out most of the church work, nor did they occupy many formal church buildings until the 4th century AD. The church needs to gather for worship, for instruction and care of its members. In fact, the New Testament term for congregation of believers is ecclesia, the assembly. God's people are called out of the world and into the church gathered, which functions as a home for safety, a hospital for restoration, a school for development, and an orchestra for worship. So this gathered life, however, has its counterpart in the scattered life of God's people. The church also looks outside itself to fulfill Christ's great commission given in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 to verse 20. And that is Christ's great commission in the world. Thus the church scattered becomes an army overcoming spiritual opposition a social agency to meet the needs of the wounded, hurting people, and an agent of justice, promoting righteousness in the community and communications company, proclaiming the good news of salvation. The church gathered for equipping, scattered for service. Both dimensions here are very crucial. Where does your church place its emphasis? What ways can you think of to strengthening its integral growth and external outreach? And as I said earlier on, the church did immensely higher and greater than what we do today when we have paid staff on the church row. This church became a model church when every member was active. It was a church where every member movement principle applied. It became a model church. But a model church is not just a model church when looking at it from the outside. It is a model church when you look at individual believers who are model believers who constitute a model church. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. 
Now here is the other side of the giving of the gospel. Paul has already said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 of chapter 1. That is the way the gospel should be given out. The word should go out as the word of God, and it should be received as the word of God. And my friend, if you will receive it that way, then it will be able to work in you, and there is a blessing for you. Otherwise, you are wasting your time in church. We have seen how Paul has been giving out the word. It irritated some people because God's word is salt, and salt stings when it gets into a fresh wound of sin in the life of an individual. Now, the word of God is also a light. But there is a lot of people who love darkness because their deeds are evil. What is Paul doing here? Paul, in this chapter, he is teaching that the church of God should mirror the family of God down here on earth. He talked in our last study about a mother relationship to believers, a father relationship, and now we have a brother relationship. Now, sometimes people say, oh, our church is a family church. What they mean is that there is a nursery at the church for the babies and a junior church for all the little children of junior age, a teenage group, a couples group for dads and moms, and finally a senior citizens group for the grandpa and the grandma. That's all that they talk about when they mean our church is a family church. I'm not sure that Paul would ever have divided up the church like that. And this is not what we mean when we say that the church should mirror the family of God. No, the church should be a revelation of God to the community, just as the family should be. The relationships of a husband, wife, and child in the home should reveal the threefold aspect of the love of God and Christ for the world. You see, God intends that through the marriage, marriage should mirror the image of God, the partners completing or complementing one another, and also multiplying a godly legacy. In doing so, the family portrays who God is. The church must also be able to portray who God is in the world. Paul has already spoken of the mother side of the local church, he was willing to work day and night to nurture them as a little bird is nurtured by its mother bird. He didn't work an eight-hour day, but he was on the job for them all the time. Then Paul says he was like a father to that church. A child in a home needs to experience both mother love and father love. It is a tragedy for children in our day when the parents are separated or divorced, when the other parent is away in the diaspora or somewhere even separated for more than 10 years, it is difficult for one parent to introduce a child to the other parent. The kind of child who grows in a separated relationship like that often fails to receive the love of the father. That father love is expressed in discipline. Paul says he was like a father to the Thessalonian church. And that is a very important aspect of his relationship 
with them. Now, we move on to the brother side of the apostles' ministry. Now, as a brother, he challenged them. The brother side of the ministry within the church is presented by the child in the family. It is very interesting to see how Paul actually brings himself to the same level with the believers at the church at Thessalonica. He is also a child in the family. And as a brother, he challenges the other members of the family. What does he say? For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14. First of all, there is an interesting word, brethren. That word is really brothers. What is it that makes men brothers? Well, there are two things that make men brothers. Regardless of race or color, it is true that we all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. No one escapes that category. So, in effect, you can call this the brotherhood of sinners. Since it is a brotherhood of sinners, it is not a loving brotherhood. We don't love each other as sinners. You had better watch your brother. You can't always trust him as well. Now, what is it that Paul says drew the Thessalonians together as brothers, which became different from the brotherhood of sinners? He says, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. The Thessalonian church was largely a Gentile church, and they were already experiencing persecution, although this was not yet the time of the great persecutions under the emperors. They were suffering in the city of Thessalonica. Paul could say to them, Before you began suffering, the brethren over in Jerusalem were already suffering at the hands of their racial brothers. This suffering draws you together and holds you together. They were brothers in suffering. For Christ, suffering is a cement that holds believers together. You see, my friends, when a church is going through a difficult period, it is not the time for believers to separate from one another. We should actually be cemented together and support one another, encouraging one another to keep on the faith, to hold on to the fort. The church is coming unglued in some areas of the world today. The church is falling apart. And the reason for this is the same thing that was said of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy 32 verse 15. But Jeshuram grew fat and thick. The only reason why the church would be separated is when the church has grown fat and kicked. That is, they entered a period of affluence and they became very critical. The church in Africa is moving even into this sphere of affluence. Instead of coming together simply for the purpose of worshipping God and hearing his instructions, the church has become a business enterprise. We must be careful, for persecution may be just around the corner. And if persecution comes, instead of holding together, we will be separated. 
Right now there is a renewed interest in the word of God and some call it revival. However, I don't call this revival. I believe that if revival came to the church, we would all know of it. No one would need to ask, do you think this is a revival? But I do believe that if suffering came to the church, it would draw believers together. We would cut out all the nonsense of picking at each other, the other person who preaches the word of God. We would recognize that every child of God is our brother. There may be some disagreements on various points, but every believer in Christ Jesus is my brother. We are in the family of God, and we should mirror this before the world. When the church really mirrors this before the world, then revival would come. We try to make a detour and a shortcut to revival by praying for it. Why don't we pray for the conditions that produce revival? It was man's extremity that brought revival at times in the past. It was when the children of Israel were going through the difficulties of Pharaoh's oppression, Egyptian oppression, that they were able to cry out to God. And a revival happened. The great Wesleyan movement came out of the dark days in England when they were on the verge of a revolution. It seems it takes such conditions for revival to occur. Maybe, my friend, we are not far from that in our continent today, ravaged with diseases, ravaged with poverty, with wars, civil unrest. Maybe revival is just next door. Who killed both the Lord and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. First Thessalonians 2 verse 15 and verse 16. Now I consider this point to be a very remarkable passage of scripture. It reveals a great principle here. The principle is that God permits sin to run its full course. Fill up the measure of their sins. That statement points out the reality that the persecutors of believers are sometimes allowed to continue their sinful conduct. The evil nature of their actions will become a matter of record, and God's response of judgment will unquestionably be seen as an administration of righteousness. There is a limit to God's patience, and the fact that the wrath of God is spoken of here in the present, not future tense, this affirms the certainty that is in the process of coming even now, that God's judgment is coming not very far, but very near. God is permitting the cup to be filled, but God won't check it so that Satan will never be able to say, See, I never was given a chance because God wouldn't permit me to do all the way or to go all the way. Now, I think the time of the great tribulation is the time when God will allow Satan to full reign but his judgment will also be coming. 
there is a reward of a true witness for Christ. And Paul talks about that as well. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. First Thessalonians 2 verse 17. Again, the word brethren appears. This is now the real brotherhood, so to say, because the relationship is now in Christ. This is the real ecumenical movement, if you like. When a person is in Christ Jesus, he is a brother, he is a sister to all others who are in Christ. Outside of Christ, there is only the brotherhood of sinners. Now Paul says, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Isn't this lovely of the Apostle Paul? He was actually run out of Thessalonica, but his heart was still there. He hated to leave these Christians and he wanted to be able to see them again. By the way, he actually did. That opportunity was afforded him to see the believers at Thessalonica. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. First Thessalonians 2 verse 18. Now the word translated hindered is a military term describing breaking up of bridges and roads to make an invading army's progress as slow as possible. Satan was engaged in such activity as he attempted to keep Paul away from the believers at Thessalonica. Paul also anticipates that Satan will attempt God's people. He wrote anticipating that Satan will tempt God's people by trying to discourage them. He will talk about that in chapter 3, verse 5. In chapter 3, verse 11, Paul looks to God to clear a path through or around Satan's hindrances, thus granting him the victory of return to visit the believers at Thessalonica. My friend, Paul had spiritual discernment to see that it was certain strategy that kept him from going to Thessalonica. The word certain here actually means adversary. And I believe that today certain seeks to hinder any program of getting the word of God to people. He doesn't want the word of God to be given out. So he will put roadblocks. He will break bridges. He will cause communication breakdown. It is certain doing it. However, God will make a way. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19 and verse 20. Paul says that one of the great things he anticipates when Christ comes to take his church will be the opportunity to see these people whom he has led to the Lord. The Thessalonian believers whom he had won to Christ were a joy for him here and would be a joy thereafter. Hereafter, up in glory, they will be his joy. What a joy. What a picture we have here to have led some people to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
they become your present joy and your future joy. By the way, is anyone going to be in heaven who will come up to you and thank you for having a part in giving the word of God? Have you given your support to missions? If you have, someone you have never known, someone from the other side of the earth, may actually come to you and thank you for your support of missions. He will thank you for being interested in getting the word of God out because the word reached and enabled that person to be saved. That, my friend, is going to be part of the reward that we will get in heaven. We need to recognize that someone will say, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am the life that was changed. Thank you. I am here today because you gave. My friend, it is a wonderful hope to look forward to a time when Christ Jesus takes the church out of this world. It is even more joyous to know that someone who trusted Christ because of your witness will go along with you to meet the Lord. We have a great hope, my friend, in Christ Jesus. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by 7264144475 from within south africa it's 0726414475